I'm Jen in Singapore. That's Ange in Hong Kong. And of course, Percy in the Philippines. And how are you guys? Looking, looking mighty fine. Ange, looks like you, you know, something new today. Want to share? I just rushed back from the hairdressers and I was running so late. Looking fabulous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm, fabulous, <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. And to everyone, welcome to Dear Future Grandkids. Now, this is a show where we ask an interesting guest every week the big question. What would they say to their future grandkids? So let's introduce today's guest. As he himself has said, as an international model, he's put his hand in his pocket and stared out into the middle distance in more catalogues than he cares to admit. He's featured more than once on the cover of Men's Health. He's Woo. a writer. <laughs> From dramatic fiction to witty wordsmith, he's been a columnist, a blogger, and a published novelist. And TV viewers in Singapore will know him as one of the stars of the long-running daily soap, Kin. And I know him personally as one of the easiest actors and presenters to work with. He's no ego or work ethic, always polite, super gracious. Could he be any more Canadian? Please welcome Jason Godfrey. Hey, oh, everybody. Nice Thanks, for, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I saw you guys do it. I saw you guys kind of come in, so I thought I'm going to come in. Yeah, you did a slide. We you do, do it cooler, though. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. We always start off with some quick fire questions. Where were you born? Mm. Uh, Canada. So I was, I was born in uh, Toronto, uh, Etobicoke, actually, which is just outside of Toronto. It's like the first suburb outside of Toronto. Are you third generation Canadian? On my father's side, I think my great grandfather came from Britain on my dad's side. But my mother, she came over from the Philippines and in the 70s. So I don't know how that works. Do you average out <laughs> the generation? So, oh, so your mom was actually born uh, in the Philippines? And she... Yeah, she was born oh. in... Uh, in Manila, in the in Quezon City, in the you know the scouts, the scout area, the oh yeah, the, hey, that's where our office is. I, I went back there to take a picture of her where she grew up, and oh. she said she didn't recognize anything, like that everything had, had changed quite a lot. Yeah, yeah everything is so, shops there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I, I found the exact intersection where she had grown up, so I, I took a photo there, and then but, yeah. oh nice, that's kind of interesting oh. to think oh, wow. that my mother cool. would have been running around out here, yeah. It, it might just be outside our office. <laughs> I could have just asked you to take a photo for me. You were born in Canada, uh, near Toronto. Is that where you grew mm -hmm. up as well? Yeah, so I grew up in Brampton, Ontario, which is like a little further up from Toronto, so it's a suburb. And I didn't realize it. I guess Brampton's got a bit of a sort of a bad reputation for being kind of crime-ridden and sort of like this kind of, it's not a good place, I guess, is the rep it has. So, okay. it's, uh, I didn't know that. I guess it's changed since I left. So, Jason, what was the first job you remember wanting when you were a kid? The first job I remember wanting, actually, I, I remember wanting to be an actor when I was a kid. I liked improv a lot. I liked being silly and, and making people laugh. So, it wasn't like I was dreaming of being a dramatic actor. I guess we wanted to be an entertainer. I guess we wanted to act in comedy. I remember one of the very early things I did. I don't know where this came from. I wrote like this comedy kind of show for like this grade two or grade three. I don't know what grade it was four maybe. And I wrote this like little comedy skit and, and casted my friends in it. And, and we did it. It was this huge hit. Not because it was good. It was just, I dressed up the boys like girls. So that was like brilliant comedy back in grade four. <laughs> so you're always a performer in the family, I guess. I think, I guess I was with my parents, but I was also painfully shy. So I have these two things that kind of competed against each other. So that's also why you asked me what my earliest thing, what I wanted to do, I could say acting, but it didn't last. I, I think as I got older, I was like, oh, I don't know. 
I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I have the the guts to do that. And then, then I started playing baseball. So then I, I wanted to play baseball, obviously. But then what I wasn't you, good enough. But what was your it's, actual first job? My actual first job? I'm glad you asked about that. I was a janitor, actually. My, my official designation was facility operator, which I enjoy more. But I was a janitor. <laughs> I was a janitor. Yeah. That's like vice president yeah. of hygiene services. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Executive assistant of hygiene services. Yeah. Yeah. I was, oh, def I was definitely you? a janitor. How old uh, you at that been? point, I was 16, I guess. My first. Well, I mean, I had a paper route when I was younger, but that's, you know, whatever. Um, but that was my first, like, official job, like, like having a boss and coming into work and, and then cleaning up the poop splat. <laughs> and, uh, I remember that was when it got good. It was a community center, so there used to be parties and stuff there. So it wasn't it wasn't actually that bad. It was a community center usually for girls' dance classes, so girls tend to be pretty clean. So the, thank God. But they would have these parties there, and I remember coming in after I'd worked there for a year or so, and I kind of had seniority, and there was a new guy, and I scouted around after the New Year's party, and like, yeah, there was a poop splat in one of the toilets, <laughs> and the new guy was like, oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to clean like downstairs. And I said, I'll take that. You just take the upstairs. Upstairs is where the poop splat was. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And I was like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> and, I, and I saw him. I saw him like an hour later. His face was white. And I know that he had tackled the poop splat. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, yeah. Do you have any strange habits or rituals that you care to share that I'm too actually frightened to hear? Having <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have any strange habits. I think the thing about strange habits and rituals is that you don't think they're strange until someone sees you doing them and they're like, dude, you're strange. Why are you doing that? So I some think. people are really superstitious, you know, baseball right. players, you know, sports players are really Yeah, don't change their socks when they're in a, yeah. in a hitting Yeah, if they're on a streak. And acting right. as well. I've seen people really strange rituals and habits when it comes to acting, like just before they go right. on. And you don't right, have right. anything? You don't have anything like anything you do? Uh, I normally, before every scene, I normally drop down and do as many clap push-ups as I can while screaming as loudly as possible. Until the, and then I tell the director, when I hold my hand up, uh, then I'm ready to start the scene. But I don't think that's a strange ritual. I think that's just... <laughs> I don't do that. The other thing about Jason, he is so sarcastic in that kind of dry North American. I can never tell whether you're joking or not. You worked with me. I didn't do yeah. any clap push-ups in front of you. No. No, you didn't. You are one of the most laid back people to work with. You're super easygoing. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, is, you know, to, to, to say a cliche, it's your Filipino and your Canadian side combined oh. together. Or how much is it you've just, you've just decided, you know, this is the best way to, to get along, to be professional. You know, you, you were a model for a long time. So I, because you really are super, super laid back about everything. Everything's like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. No problem. Yeah. Sure. Put me in a tutu, dress me in a mermaid costume. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's like a conscious effort to like, I think it's just being, I think it's just, it's just my upbringing, I suppose, which I guess I'm lucky my parents, I guess, raised me the way I did. Because I think that that's been my, the one thing that has kept me going because I've, I haven't been too great at everything, but I think it's when you're easy to work with, people yeah. will will you know hire you again, right? So yeah, it's not like a deliberate or conscious choice. It just just happens to be like that for me, I guess. So I'm just lucky. I'm lucky that I feel laid back because I see other other people get like bent out of shape about stuff, and I'm like, 
I don't know, man. Just wear the mermaid costume and do whatever you need to do. It's fine. Like pure likability in any job is so underrated from people. Like someone who's just a good person who'll turn up, do what they yeah. need to do, is so underrated. And that is whether you're acting or any kind of job. Um, tell us a subject you know surprisingly a lot about. Oh wow. Um, I don't know anything about anything. You know the Dunning Kruger effect. So basically, as as your knowledge increases. Um, so basically this is, this scale is your confidence and this is knowledge increasing. And apparently the less knowledge you have, the higher your confidence is that, you know, the subject. <laughs> and then as you know more, your confidence actually goes down and you start to realize, wow, I don't really know anything about this subject. And then as you get you know, further along, you know, more then, then your confidence rises again, but your confidence is never as high as it was at the start. <laughs> I read one whole article about it. <laughs> Dunning Kruger expert. So this is confidence really high. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why my confidence is really high now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Because So Jason, we've come to this part of the show where we ask our guests to leave a meaningful voice message to someone special in your life. So we really, we do need you to grab your phone, leave a message to that someone, anybody that's special on your phone list. You don't we have just to tell us oh, just, We just like to eavesdrop. Okay, so I don't tell you who, but I just start leaving the message in front of you. Yes, um, exactly. Very but natural. it's a message that I have to send. It's a message yes. that I would have to send. Yeah. <laughs> what about your boss? What about your, your boss at Kin? My, my boss? Direct I'm the boss of myself. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to send it, you know. You do have to send it. Well, I have to send it. Yeah. It's not theoretical. So sense of my producer? Yeah. If I do it to my producer, he's going to be like, what, what are you, are you drunk? What's wrong with you? It's Saturday morning. What are you drinking? Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? Okay. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> okay. 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 I'll, I'll send him a message. This is going to be awkward. Uh, hey, Gorshan. It's Jason. Just a Saturday morning, leaving you a message. I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Me on Ken. I've actually really enjoyed it. And I've learned a ton from being on the show as a writer and acting wise, I've learned so much. And at the end of the day, it's an opportunity that I'm actually, I'm really happy that I've had. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity and, and letting me be part of it. I know this is a really weird message to suddenly randomly get, <laughs> but I've just felt like it's something that, that should be said. So, okay. All right, man. Um, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you. Talk to you later. <laughs> you, you're you're so it. awkward. What? I love Jason the fact we get... asked it to be really meaningful, and mm -hmm. this is as meaningful as we can get Jason Godfrey <laughs> to be because it was so awkward. And then at yeah. the end, you had to go, "Hey, man, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, yeah man, yeah, dude." I thought I didn't man it up enough. I could have done more. You left a meaningful message. Now we mm -hmm. want you to get up once again. And we're going to give you 30 seconds to pick two items that are meaningful to you from your travels or from your work. All right. Okay. I got it. I got the stuff. All right. Two items. Yeah. The first one. Stop what is it? Okay. What the first one is, the, is my wedding ring. I wasn't oh. actually wearing it because when I'm on set, I can't wear it anyway. So I feel right. like I don't want to bring it on set and just leave it around. So I, I actually got in the habit of not wearing it. And also because I'm married to a cheating TV wife. She, uh, <laughs> I have to wear her ring instead. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's one. 
Where did you oh, get married, Jason? You didn't get married in um in Asia, did oh, you? So we got married and we signed papers in Hong Kong and then we went over to Romania and got married, like, you know, had the party and the ceremony. From she's in China, from a small town. Like really, it's like going back in time. There's horse carriages. That's how they get like wood around and stuff. Her her home is still heated by uh wood fire. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. Yeah. yeah, where she's from, her mother pickles all the vegetables and like smokes the meat. Honestly, if there's like a zombie apocalypse, they are the only people who would be able to provide for themselves. The rest of us would be eating dry mac and cheese and trying to make it from like the stuff in the supermarkets. <laughs> Her mother would just be like, I kill more chicken and pickle an eye. And then she'd be fine. <laughs> so, life wouldn't change for them. <laughs> oh man, your kid's going to have such a great heritage, right? Perfect combination of so many things. Yeah, I, I hope. <laughs> That's really cool. And talking about family, we know you mm. write a regular <clears throat> column for the Star newspaper in Singapore called... As um, in Malaysia. In Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. Called Big Eyes, Big Eyes Zero Is. And uh, you wrote this really <clears throat> nice bit in your column. You said, uh, when you had your kid, you said, these are strange times. The pandemic, the impending collapse of the economy. Should we have brought a child into this hard world, is what you wrote. And then you replied your, to your own question. And you said, the world has always been hard. And like every parent... I knew the first time my child smiled at me that the answer was a resounding yes. It doesn't sound like my words coming from Ange. It sounds like something <laughs> written written well. <laughs> uh, I have no recollection of writing that, actually. The pandemic, I think when I wrote that, we were in lockdown, we were in circuit breaker. And I think any lockdown, once you get a couple months into it, and then and then combining that with being a dad for the first time and having a newborn, First three months, it's like the worst time ever. I know that after a while, the days were bleeding into each other and just becoming kind of like, we were just on baby's time, right? No idea what was going on. We couldn't leave the house. So I guess I wrote that. That's probably in a weird space. <laughs> it makes sense. But yeah, I remember it was it was hard. It was rough. You know, it was rough to, to you're just not sleeping. You know what I mean? You've got all this uncertainty and stuff. So I guess that's when I wrote that. I like your blog. I like your color. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, thanks. Mostly I rant about politics and economic injustice. Yeah, and climate change is really good. Yeah. It's good, but you do it with that witty, dry sense of humor of yours. So oh, I, I, I hope I do. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like I'm just ranting. <laughs> yeah. It's strange. So, it's strange the feelings you have as, as a new father. So More philosophical, you mean? More philosophical about life? I think it's like no one prepares. I think it's different for, for mothers. I think mothers, they get attached pretty quickly because I was always like, this is going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm going to love my kid instantly. But when, when the baby comes out, you're like, I should love this kid instantly. But really all the, all the kid is is a screaming bag of meat at this point. <laughs> and like, and it's hard, it's hard to connect. Like for, I found it very, very difficult now, obviously not. And, and it, I don't know if it's like a selfish thing. Maybe I have, or maybe just, just fathers have in general is it, I think they like interactivity. So as soon as the baby starts to interact a little more, I think yep. it, it melts you a little more. But at the beginning, it's like you're, you're doing everything, but you're like, man, what have I unleashed with my groin? <laughs> I can relate to that, Jason. You know what it's like. I, yeah. I, I, totally, I totally understand because, you know, the baby, the, you take care of the baby and you've got sleepless nights, you're changing diapers yeah. and all you're thinking is, where's the fun stuff? Where's the part yeah, where yeah. I get to play with Legos yeah. legitimately? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just sleepless nights, like yes, yeah, all... changing diapers, trying to get this kid to sleep that he doesn't want to sleep, even though he should sleep, and you're just like, what is happening? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's yeah. I think it's something that people don't don't talk about too much. Everybody just just kind of puts on the 
oh, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened, uh, cliche, which it is. At, at the end of the day, it is long term. But I think in the in the first moments when it's happening, there is a there is a moment, especially combined with the pandemic, where I was like, oh my goodness, is this life now? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> when it's happening, it's like the worst experience ever. But that's what I realized, right? Parenthood. It's because when we're like, how do people have more children? It's because yeah. all those times get wiped out of your memory because the good times overshadow them. Same with my wife in pregnancy. She was like, I just want this. Just my body is hijacked. We just need the baby to come out. Like what's happening? But, yeah. but now when she looks back at the pregnancy, we look back at it fondly. And that's something that I think humans are programmed to do is you, you forget about all this negative stuff. And then you have one kid and then you're like, okay, okay, let's, let's crank out another one. Um, I think so. You just start focusing on like the happy stuff, you know, how cute the baby was. And I can see it now too, because as, as he's getting older too, I, I realize I'm going to miss the baby version of him. Um, and you were only child growing up, right? Weren't you? Tell us a bit about growing up yeah. and your parents. Uh, yeah, and I was the only child. How were you brought up? I had a, I think I pretty, had a pretty, uh, normal, uh, you know, middle-class upbringing in Canada. We never were starving or anything like that, but we didn't, we didn't go on vacations or anything. It wasn't like, it was just like that middle ground. Being an only child, my parents, they tried to have more kids after me, but it just didn't work out. I, I wish I wasn't an only child. I wish I, I wish I had siblings because I see other people who have siblings. I, I think when you're growing up, when you're a kid and you're young and stupid and selfish, it's great to be an only child because you're like, ah, I'm not arguing with anyone. I do whatever I want. But I think when you get older, you realize that having somebody who has that shared experience of growing up in your home. I think that's something that you can't trade. Like my wife has a sister. So when they talk, I hear them, they're like, oh, you know, but dad always used to do this. They know exactly what they're talking about. I think that's something that's more valuable than growing up being a selfish little prick <laughs> when you're young. <laughs> but now you have your own beautiful family. How's it mm -hmm. different for you now, having your own family? I don't know. I guess it hasn't changed anything. Like I'd, I'd like to have another kid, especially for Will's sake. For Jason's financial well-being, I would like to... Have one kid yeah. <laughs> and start working him. Start working him immediately so he can pay. For it. <laughs> I, I, I love Singapore. I like it here a lot, but it is an expensive place. So I think yeah. that's the challenge. Is like we have one kid, you can you can kind of do it, but then you start having like two kids, you start going, oh my gosh, and then three kids. Like there's no way, there's no way. So I think it's kind of sad on that level where you're. We talk about family and all how that's so great and everything, and then you're like realize really how constrained you are financially. You can't make these life decisions because they're going to really, really cramp you financially. You know, it's just going to make it a lot more stressful, make it more difficult. But that being said, Canada, Canada exists. It's easier to live there. You go to Canada and just crank some children. Or I could just start pimping Will out. You know, Daddy could be doing adult diaper ads and Will could be doing baby diaper ads and combine. <laughs> one, more, one more kid. Pay for that kid right there. <laughs> you know, because we're talking about your grandkids, right? Mm -hmm. How would you like talk about your family to them? What's the most important thing you'd tell your future grandkids about your family? I think the best thing I would tell my future grandkids would just be like, I read this in a magazine one time. It was like a country singer said, I think it was Toby Keith, but he said, just treat everyone like they're trying their best. And I was like, that makes sense. I think there's very few people you meet in life that are, I mean, you meet people at bad times and they're, they may be jerks to you or whatever, but there's a few people that actually want to be jerks. There's a few people that actually want to hurt you or do something wrong to you. Very, very few people are actually trying to do anything bad to you. Most people are just having bad days or, or having a bad life is what that is. And they're just trying their hardest. 
and and I think that's ultimately it. Is that I mean, life is life is rough, and and you can be having a bad time. And so I think you make it worse if you start reacting to the negative stuff that people do to you. People aren't trying to be rude to you. They're not trying to be mean to you. They're just trying their best and they're trying to cope. And sometimes they step on your toes. And I think if you can just assume that they're trying, they're just trying to get through. And I think it makes it easier to get through, get through good through everything. Because if you go through through like getting angry at everything, it's gonna be really rough on you. <laughs> Do you have any life lessons that go against conventional wisdom? Oh, oh yeah, I do. <laughs> I've actually wondered, you know, the whole thing about hard work and the whole meritocracy thing, but more just hard work. The idea that hard work will, well, I'll be honest, the, the stuff that I've worked hardest on has brought me the least amount of finance or, or success in my life. The success that I've had has, I've just fallen into it. <laughs> so using that logic, don't work hard. <laughs> just hang around, wait for the phone to ring and stuff will happen for you. That's, that's what my life has taught me. <laughs> like when I worked for years and years and years trying to write and you, you finally get a book out there and you, you bring in 20 bucks <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not like, it's like knocking the doors off of, you know, critical acclaim or anything like that. And you're kind of like, why don't you just go back to hosting? where Ange calls you up randomly and goes, Hey, listen, I heard of you. Do you want to go do some work? All right. <laughs> sure. She didn't read a book. She's like, I just saw a picture of you. I thought, yeah, this guy might be a nice guy to work with. <laughs> yeah. The men's health dude. Yeah. Maybe, the, maybe the hard work pays off in other areas. Cause if you didn't work hard on your book or something else, then you probably wouldn't have gotten, you know, the breaks that you got. Possibly. I mean, I, yeah, everything, everything's interconnected. Yeah. I guess, I guess on some level, but yeah, I don't know. No. And I, there's, I, there's another binary way to look at it and be like, don't yeah. work hard kids. <laughs> Just I, wait. I think I would, I wouldn't quite put it in such extreme terms, but I think there is a thing about don't overthink, don't overthink your career. There's a, there's a degree of going with the flow in it, I guess. Yeah. Cause I've got this philosophy now where I know that if I'm trying way too hard and it's becoming way too difficult, then maybe it's a sign that it's not meant to be. So right. I kind of, I learned to pivot also. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this is proving more difficult than I thought it would be. Maybe I should sit back and take a look. Maybe there's something else I could use my energy and my time with. And it's proving right. Uh, which is like kind of the opposite of what everyone says, right? Like when it gets hardest, that's when you're close to the breakthrough. You know what I mean? That's kind of goes against that conventional wisdom. It's like, well, you know, maybe it is too hard. Do something that's me else. Out. That's, that's me and working out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, breakthrough yeah. what? But breakthrough. Stop it. It's fine. I'll, that's why I got my yellow belt in karate and then I just quit. <laughs> no, but again, it's like you said, it doesn't apply to everything, but, but no, I, I see, I see your point. Right. And it's true. Don't, don't overthink. I think our next question is really about stuff that you could do over in your life. I mean, I know that you've mm. got this philosophy now, but is there any part of your life that you would relive and do differently? I wish I had a model for so long, <laughs> even though, even though I made good money doing it, I think I did it for much too long and I don't think I was moving forward. I can see with the acting and, and I really enjoy the acting and I feel like I've learned a lot. I've, I've actually improved quite a lot. I wish I was doing this 15 years ago. <laughs> like I see some of the younger actors on the show and I see where they are and how they are with scenes and how they are with the feedback and how willing they are to try different things. And I wish I was like them. I wish I was 28 and figuring this out, not 43. 
Do you know what I mean? So in that in that sense, I wish I kind of like found that a little earlier in life. Has life turned out the way you expected it? No, I don't think. I don't think it ever does. Anytime you you said uh, you you look ahead and you go, okay, I'm going to do this, and this is how it's going to work out. Like, does it ever play out like that? It never does, right? So, Jason, what movies or TV shows do you think are must sees for your future grandkids? Oh, I mean, I, I just can't. I can't wait to watch. I mean, I don't plug the MCU. I can't wait to watch the MCU with my son. I feel like those are great, great films. I love those films. They're fun films. And from a writing perspective, I mean, you can say whatever you want. They're popcorn films, but they, they've got a genre that. It's just the same formula over and over again, but they manage to make it fresh and new all the time, which I think is incredible. Are there any books <clears throat> that would be a must-read for your future grandkids? Actually, I just read a book. It's a kids' book. It's a, is it yeah, new or old? Uh, the Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. And then I just started. I just opened it up, and I guess it appealed to that quick-paced nature of everything now because it's a kids' book, so it just moves. It just moves like this. Yeah. And it's written super simply. So like I read it in two hours. Like I read it like on my commute to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like and it was just done. But it it was it was such a nice book. And it's it's totally a story. It's like one of those books that like you're like, ah, oh, it's so simple. I wish I had written it. It's just the story of this porcelain rabbit. It's his journey of like just him just basically being passed on from person to person. And all these people have these terrible hardships in life. But the porcelain rabbit doesn't just kind of takes it at face value and continues on, you know, kind of learning these journeys and missing these people that he's loved and that have loved him. And he eventually makes it back to, well, I won't spoil it. He eventually makes it, goes on this journey and comes full circle type thing. But it's one of those, it's one of those stories where the world is like almost depressingly harsh, but because the character doesn't really know it, just kind of just happily going through, going through the motions. And so I think that's kind of even, even sadder sometimes is when, when somebody's just like, well, that's how it is. Sounds like a, yeah. a great book. Yeah. And are there any objects or gadgets that you definitely want to leave for your future grandkids as well? I'm pretty sure all our objects or gadgets will be obsolete by that point. My son will be like, what is this? What is this smartphone garbage? <laughs> Why I got to do my smart lens? And he just put it in his eye. He'll <laughs> <laughs> call everybody. And augmented reality, everything. I don't know. I don't think... Yeah, I don't know. It's not really, not really any any objects or gadgets that I, I don't really have a lot of sentimental value towards. I don't know, like a watch or something I would hand down to him or anything like that. Jason, yeah. thank you so much for today. Thank you for building this video time capsule. So as we close the show and you're closing the lid, you get to leave a message. What do you want to say to your future grandkids? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I know you prepared me for this. I didn't prepare for it. Um, <laughs> Well, future grandkids, I hope we've left you a decent world. I hope it isn't. I uh, hope you're not living in some sort of post-apocalyptic structure and you're not watching this on some like antiquated technology now because everything has been destroyed. I hope that the world is okay, I suppose is what I'm saying. I hope things are still stable. I guess the only message is uh, it's what I've learned from what we've done today is just, you know, don't don't force anything. Don't try to any don't try too hard. Sometimes some things aren't going to work out. That's okay. Just go with the flow, unless it's the apocalypse. <laughs> then you need to struggle against the flow a little bit. <laughs> then you need to run like the wind. <laughs> then, then, yeah. Yeah. If the climate storm is coming, then you don't go with the flow. You need to hide in a basement somewhere, preferably a military bunker. But yeah. I hope that's not the world we've left you. I'm sure I'll think of something better if I actually have grandkids. <laughs> Jason. 
Thank you so much for being our guest today. I hope I hope you had fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. It was good. Maybe take a break and come back with with season two, or if everything fails, we had a good run going until we put Jason on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So this has been Dear Future Grandkids, where we look at the past to give us lessons for the future. I've been Jen. That's Ange. That's Percy. That's our wonderful guest, Jason Godfrey. 